Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. What's up everybody? I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for giving me your ears and taking the time to listen to the podcast. I just want to give a uh, special thanks to all of you who have written a review on iTunes of the show and you've also given us a rating. Thank you so much. And if you are a listener and you have not done that, please do that. It uh, really, really, really helps the show grow and it helps us out. And I love all the feedback. Uh, also, I love the feedback we're getting, especially on our uh, the uh, Instagram page, which is great. I always like to post some interesting photos there regarding, you know, our podcast guests and topic that week. And so thank you so much. And of course, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. But just wanted to say thank you to those people who have taken the time to do so. Folks, if you've listened to the show, if you, you know, for, for quite some time, you know that I absolutely love having this podcast because I'm able to connect with people that are found all around the world who've worked with animals all around the world. And I'm not going to lie, I am definitely jealous of this week's podcast guest and her adventures around the world working with animals. On today's show, we have Camille, who's currently finishing up her PhD working with penguins in South Africa. But we not only talk about her work doing that, but we talk about her work in Australia, where she was with the little blue penguins or the fairy penguins, just the cutest little things if you've ever seen them, but they don't even look real. So we talked to her about that. But she has uh, been somewhere I've always wanted to go, and that is South Georgia Island. So that is north of Antarctica, and it's completely isolated out there. It's freezing, <laughs> as you can imagine, but full of penguins, elephant seals, fur seals, leopard seals. We just, I, I really just talked to her about her experience doing that because not a lot of people can say that they've been isolated on an island researching penguins and elephant seals. And I just ask her what that was like. Could you imagine what that would be like? Just being isolated from technology, not being warm. I mean, I, one of the things you'll hear Camille say, she talks about not actually being warm for several months. She said it was freezing, but just a, such a fascinating interview. And, uh, you know, you'll really, really learn a lot about penguins and seals and all the great stuff that uh, her and her team are doing. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Camille. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, Amy said, oh, I have a friend, he, he's doing podcasts and stuff. So I said, yeah, okay, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Amy Major, she was on, I think, episode three of my podcast in the very, very beginning. And she actually talked to you because she met you in South Africa, correct? Yes, yes, we met uh, for the penguin stuff, for the penguin work, yeah. Oh my goodness. And she said that you study penguins and elephant seals. And I was like, I'm sold. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to talk to Camille. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So tell us just a little bit about yourself and just your fascination with penguins and elephant seals. Did it start from an early childhood? Uh, not really, actually. Well, um, since I was, um, I don't know, 16 or something. Yeah. Since, since I was 16, I think I wanted, I, I really liked the marine environment, you know, like going out on a boat or something like that. So I said maybe I would do that for a living, you know, working with the ocean and science and things like that, but I didn't really know what. And then uh, after my graduation, I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. So I, uh, I decided to do a gap year. You know, it's a year you just stop studying basically and you do internships over and over to try different things. 
and I ended up being uh, in Australia, uh, working with a, um, a researcher in Melbourne. He's called uh, John Arnold. He's doing uh, work on seals, penguins, gannets, um, and different diff many different species. And he said, "Yes, come, come with me, and we are going to do uh, um, field work together." And so um, I said, "Okay, fine." Sold Australia. I really wanted to go penguins. I really wanted to see them. So I said, "Yes." <laughs> And then I fell in love with the little blue penguins in Australia, and I said, "Okay, for my for my masters, I want to keep doing work on penguins." And then I ended up just keeping um, working on penguins ever since. So <laughs> yeah, and and you're talking about the the little blue penguins in Australia, right? Yes, oh yes, the little. My I've never seen one in person. How big are they, Camille? Oh, they are really small. They are the smallest penguins in the world, and I don't really know the size, but maybe thirty centimeters or something like that. They're really small, really small. Like, I mean, like maybe like the size of like a pineapple, <laughs> smaller. Uh, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky to find uh, <laughs> like a senseo machine. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> well, and Camille, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I mean, so many people really don't even realize these blue. Uh, correct fairy penguins even exist correct i mean they look like they're yes. something made up yes exactly the first time i said to my friends oh i'm going to do an internship in australia working on penguins they said there's no there are no penguins in australia you know first like they think i don't know they think it's too warm or they think um they can't live on sand or things like that and i'm like it's not too warm melbourne is really south of australia and if you look on the map you can see it's quite quite south actually and can be really cold um, in winter, and you know it's good temperature for them anyway. And they dig then their burrow into the sand on the beach. So that's it's true. Is when you when you talk about penguins, you imagine Antarctica, you imagine um, ice, and you imagine really cold weather, and you know. But it's not only the case, and it's the same for the African penguins, because same when I said I'm going to Africa to work on. Uh, African penguins, they were like, African penguins, Africa equals warm, and penguins equals cold, so it doesn't, you know, for people, they don't believe me when I say, yeah, there are penguins actually in South Africa and in Australia. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and are, are are the little blue penguins, are they mainly like southern Australia, you said near Melbourne? Is that is that where they're mainly found? Yeah, they are in um, on the south coast of Australia and also in New Zealand, and also in on some islands, you know, in between, around that area. Okay. Are are, are they pretty numerous, the little blue penguins? I, I forgot the number, actually, because it was a while ago. But I think uh, I think it's they are not endangered anyway yet. Okay. So okay. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think also, you know, the Australian uh, government at least is doing a great job um, for um, conservation um, for these species. So I think it's, yeah, it's good. That's good. And how big, I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm like trying, I'm quizzing you on these, on these blue penguins. I'm just so fascinated with them, Camille. How big are their colonies? Are they like thousands of birds when you are researching them or a few hundred? Okay. So it depends on the species. Like the, the colony I've been working on uh, in Australia, there were only a hundred birds, so not much. And, you know, they keep quite a big distance between each other, like their nests are quite far from each other. Um, and then when they go at sea to get food, they gather on the beach. So they all make their way 
to the to the shoreline. Oh, I love, you know, I love how you bobbed your head. I love how you bobbed exactly. your head like that. <laughs> like, and then and then they gather on the beach and they go at sea together. Uh, then the African penguins. Um, I'm working on a colony um, on Robben Island. So Robben Island was the island where Mandela was um, kept in prison for 18 years, I think. Uh, and it's quite a small island, um, but there are there are thousands of birds. But in same same thing, they are quite uh, away from each other. They can they can be like a couple of meters away from each other at least. And then I've been working on king penguins uh, on South Georgia, which is an island um, in the South Atlantic Ocean uh, of the coast of the Falkland Islands. And these guys are, can be very, very numerous and they don't leave um, space between each other because they don't really have a, a burrow, um, if we can say. They just stay together and this is their nest. And you can have a couple of, a co a couple of hundred thousand birds together. Oh my God! I had no idea that you were at South Georgia Island. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah South Georgia is great. Oh it's my the gosh, best Camille, that's yeah. like that's on my bucket list of places to go. I mean, that's like right oh, by yeah. right by Antarctica, correct? Like just north. Yeah. So so it's uh yeah it's bit how can I say it's on the east side of the Falkland Islands and it's I would say halfway um, to the Antarctic Peninsula, which is like. You know the northern points of Antarctica, basically. Oh my goodness! I mean, talk. Yeah. I mean, how many people were on that island with you? How many researchers? So there are there are two stations, two research stations that um, belong to the British government because um, it's it's uh, British territory, and there are two research stations. One called Bird Island, and it's far north on the island, and I think there were like between 10 and 15 researchers at that time. It was like summertime, uh, so there were more people at that time. And then uh, there's another re research station called King Edward Point, and there were 13 people, I guess. Uh, and then I went with my colleague, Richard Shirley, and we were the two of us on the field, so away from the station because the colony we were working on was far from the station. So um, we were like isolated in the middle of nowhere to do our field work and then back to the station. Wow. So how long were you there isolated? How long were you there isolated on Georgia Island? Uh, so it was two months. Um, two months? With, yeah, two months with him. Um, and we arrived with the boat. So there, there were people at the base uh, from British Antarctic Survey. They, they, they gave us uh, a ride. Um, to drop all the stuff and the food and everything. And then we stayed for a couple of months, yeah, and then they came to pick us up again. Wow. Were, were there at times yeah. where you felt so isolated? Did it bother you being so isolated, or did you just love it? Well, both. It's, it's a very strange feeling because, uh, you know, it's such an amazing place where not many people went, so it, it looks very... I don't know, everything clean, um, calm, although, although there are really noisy animals around, but it's a different, you know, it's a different environment uh, and no pollution. And um, I don't know, it's very peaceful in, in a way. Uh, but then um, 
yeah, we had, of course, we had work to do. So that keeps you busy and um, keeps your mind active and everything. But yeah, no shower, no toilets, no uh, electricity, no no proper water. I mean, we had we we had a roof, and then you know when it rained, we had a tank, and then we used that water from that tank. But um, yeah, like the comfort was not really here <laughs> and also it was very cold it was very cold sometimes and there was no heat or anything so um there was a, a morning we woke up and it was uh, three degrees after we boiled some water with the fire and stuff so it's like sleeping in a fridge basically oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah yeah so but it, that was that was good and we we had time with my colleague you know to talk about all subjects possible <laughs> in two months with one person you can you can talk about everything food uh, science would... arts movies books whatever so yeah wow what so i mean but... I, hey, camille how how could you warm yourself up i mean do you guys drinking some whiskey or <laughs> yeah no not really this is not allowed for safety for safety reasons i'm just kidding <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, although there is some alcohol in, in the bases, like, it was not good for us, I guess, because we were just the two of us, so if something happens, then, you know, it um, can be quite quite bad. Um, no, no, I, I guess, you know, we had really good sleeping bags provided by um, British Antarctic Survey, really good clothes, and, yeah, in the day, we tried to move to keep active, but sometimes we were really cold, um, and I remember my colleague, he was poking his toes with a knife because he couldn't feel them uh, at some point. Oh. And yeah, it, it was getting scary because it took several days for him to feel his toes again. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. But it was okay. <laughs> it wow. was okay in the end. I mean, yeah. it, it gets cold here in Idaho, but I think after hearing your story, I think I'm never, I'm never going to take it. I'm not going to complain anymore after hearing your story because it does not get as cold as being near Antarctica. Yeah, well, you know, it was not that cold. I mean, it was... It never went, I think, when I was there, it never went below minus five. But it's just like you never warm up, actually, because it's as cold inside the, the tent or the hut um, than outside. So you never you never get to, to you know, go home uh, uh, close to the fire or put the heat on and then go back in the cold, you know. So it's like permanent cold, and that was the tricky part, as well as um, a bit... A feeling of you know um, missing communication with the world because of course we had no phone we had no network no uh, internet like nothing and that's that's actually a very strange feeling to know to realize when you do that how much you rely on these things um, that you don't necessarily expect when you have that every day you know yeah Okay. Yeah. So let's just what? let's just talk, Camille. What is what? Because I've never seen a real live penguin colony. What take our listeners through this? Like, what is it like when you first approach a giant penguin colony of these king penguins? Um, I guess it's first it's fascination because for me, when I worked on uh, little blue penguins, for example, I was fascinated already. But it was not super impressive because they were in low numbers and they were small and everything. But when I arrived and saw all these king penguins everywhere, 
and with the seals around and the albatrosses or petrels and you know it's a mix of so many species and in such high numbers that it's uh, you know you don't really know where to look you don't really know what's happening to you when you land on these beaches and you know and you see all that is it's very i don't know it's I think there's no word really, you know, it's just amazing and you don't speak, you don't, you just look, you don't really know where to put your eyes on. And, and yeah, it's, it's very different from what you can have here um, on, like, in our continent or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, and then uh, you start, you know, looking at how they behave, like how they move, how they uh, scream like the chicks calling their parents and you know how they play together how they fight each other you know you start looking at all the behaviors and and stuff and that's yeah that, that's good feeling uh, i guess yeah yeah is it really really loud yeah it's really loud and even during the night it's like how do they get some rest you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, yeah, my colleague, he struggled to, to fall asleep sometimes because uh, the, the seal pups uh, screaming, and it's like a weird noise, like um, like between a sheep and something like that. So it's really, really, you know, high and uh, really loud. So, yeah. Wow. And, okay, yeah. Camille, I've heard something, too. I heard, well, I actually read this, that the smell is just, will blow you out of the water. What is the smell like when you approach a penguin colony? I would say, uh, yeah, you can feel that. Well, I guess I'm used to penguin poo now, especially because we've done also uh, penguin poo analysis because we collected some samples. So <laughs> I'm used to penguin poo. <laughs> uh, that's quite the wrong feeling to be used to that anyway. Uh, but um, yeah, of course it's smelly. It's, it smells like, you know, a bad fish, you know, like oh. it's very fishy smell. Um, but it's not worse than the elephant heels because the elephant heels, you can smell them from hundreds of meters away. Like they're really, really stinky. Yeah, they stink really. Uh, penguins, no, you know, like um, they are quite... They are okay for the smell, I would say. Just fishy. And I, I actually used to take care of the penguins at the zoo, and I actually loved that fishy smell. I know that sounds weird. I loved it. And I'm, I mean, I don't know. I was like, oh, it's time to take care of the penguins. But I know it's different in a zoo, though. <laughs> like... Yeah, I don't know. I think it should be similar. I mean, yeah, I think it's more like a penguin itself doesn't really smell bad. It's just the, the, the guano everywhere, I guess, uh, when they have colonies. But um it's not that bad, really, and you get used to it very quickly. Um, like when you arrive, you can smell it, but then you know, I think your brain get used to to this very quickly, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really smell it, and then you know, after two months without the proper shower, we can't really say anything to the penguins smelling quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. So, what were you there studying? Were you studying the penguin behavior? Were you, I mean, because I know you were also there for the elephant seals. Tell the listeners what you were studying there in South Georgia Island. Okay, so in South Georgia, uh, we were studying the foraging behavior of uh, king penguins. Um, and this uh, study was um, created because there's an increasing interest um, to fish uh, a certain um, fish in the ocean, which is called the um, myctophids. So they are lantern fishes. 
So they are bioluminescent fish, so they can uh, emit a sort of light uh, at depth, uh, and um, they are the main prey of the king penguins um, because they represent up to 90% of their diet. So that's um, that's hurt. And because of that increasing interest of fishing that resource, of course, this can um, affect the success uh, of the king penguins, you know, the breeding success or, or foraging success anyway. Um, and um, recently we discovered that this fish aggregates at depth and forms layers. So it's they are really layers. They are extensive. So they are horizontally extensive layers and vertically narrow um, aggregation of that fish, basically, uh, in the ocean, in every ocean. And it's true, of course, in, in the Antarctic. And because they aggregate, they are in high numbers. And if you start fishing on that, because you can easily detect that from a ship using, you know, echo sounders, um, acoustic techniques. Um, yeah, then I think it can be quite bad for the penguins. So there are marine protected areas in place at the moment around South Georgia. Um, it's called the South Georgia and um, Sandwich Islands. Um, but yeah, I guess if they start fishing um, massively that resource, this will affect the penguins, of course. Uh, so we are trying to see how much they rely on 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 these layers uh, in, in their foraging area, basically. So we we deploy um, GPS uh, on them as well as uh, depth recorders, um, so that. With the two of them, you can get latitude, longitude, and depth. So you have a three-dimensional idea of where they're going at sea. And also uh, accelerometers. So there are little devices that measure the acceleration in three different axes. So you can see if they move uh, upwards, downwards, left, right, and a uh, peak in acceleration when they, when they do you know, um, flipper strokes or things like that. And then you can see where they found their food, how hard they try to get the food and um, if they actually target these layers um, in, in the ocean. So this is what we were trying to do. Oh my gosh. And how deep are these penguins diving? So king penguins dive to, like, they are known to dive down to 400 meters. So I think it would be like a thousand two hundred feet. Um, so that's a lot. Um, and well, they usually stay shallower than that, uh, but these layers can be found between 200 and uh, 1,000 meters. So potentially, if these layers are quite uh, high, um, like quite shallow in the water column, then they can access these layers because they can dive to 400 meters. So yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so you're also yeah, they're pretty, pretty impressive birds. Yeah, they are. Okay. So you're also there for the elephant seals, which are massive. I've never seen one yeah, in person. I mean, are they all together with the penguins, or how does this work? I mean, are they all just commingling or cohabitating? I mean, how? what is this like? Yeah, okay, so I didn't do field work on uh, elephant seals on South Georgia. But yeah, we, so they, they usually stay in groups as well. So smaller groups, I guess, maximum 30 elephant seals. And they stay on the side, like they, they don't really, um, you know, stay all together and things like that. You have the, the king penguin colony and then like a little bit on the side, you will have a, 
uh, elephant seal colony and they say they stay all together and at the time i was there they were molting so they were losing their the fur you know um to renew it uh, for the next year um and they were just staying on the beach all day long um all together and uh, it's different than the seals the antarctic fur seals they these guys are like everywhere they don't really stay in groups you know they stay with their they have a the male have a it's called harem you know they have several females around and the females can have pups and then you have a different harem um, somewhere else but it's different elephant seals they they stick together they they stay like you know pack mm-hmm. together <laughs> yeah did, did you ever see because yeah. we've all seen those fame that famous video footage of the elephant seals just battling each other did you ever witness them fighting over the females uh, well, I've seen uh, juveniles fighting together, um, but it was not, you know, it was. I think it was more like to play. But yeah, you can see on their on their neck they have scars and uh, and everything. Yeah, it's for dominance and you know territory and um, things like that that they used to fight. Um, but yeah, um, I haven't seen that really in person, I guess. Okay. Okay, Camille, I have a question for you. Yeah. This is one animal I've always wanted to see my whole entire life. It's like on my bucket list. Are you ready for it? Did, yeah. Did you see any leopard seals? No, I know there was one. There was one the day they they drove us um, to to the colony. On the way back, they saw one, and I was like, oh no, I wish I wish we could have seen it. But yeah, no, I didn't see any. Um, but I guess. Uh, I guess I'm happy that I didn't see any. Some, I mean, I'm quite scared of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They fascinate yeah. me. I mean, they fascinate me to no end. I mean, I just, oh my goodness. I would love to get a leopard seal researcher on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you can find some. There must be people working on those. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, they scare me, really. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, but you weren't actually in the water, though. Were you? No, no, we were not in the water. No, okay. no diving. No. Yeah. Did you see any orcas or any predators of the penguins while you were on South Georgia? Well, the some seals can attack the penguins, and we saw one king penguin coming back from the beach with a very, very big wound on on the stomach. So we think he probably didn't make it. We didn't see it after that day, anyway. Um, so yeah, seals can attack. Um, penguins and potentially uh, some some killer whales as well or some some whales and things like that but we didn't really see them because we were inside a bay so i guess they don't really come inside the bay as well so no i didn't see uh, we didn't see the, the predators really but on land they have predators so the the adults themselves they are they don't fear anything really like even us they didn't really they were not scared of us because they they have no predator on land but for the eggs and the chicks, yes, because you have uh, a lot of uh, skuas um, and uh, giant petrels um, where we were um, doing our study, and they would fly over the colony. And as soon as they see a parent, you know, like looking in a different direction or something like that, they would steal, they would steal the the egg or or the chick, and then you know that counts for predation anyway. So. And yeah. What are they? You said teras. I'm sorry. I'm just not familiar with the birds. Are they? Are they? Uh... Oh, okay. So skuas. So they are quite small birds, but they are really 
they're really smart birds and they, they, they can wait. So usually they sit next to the to the, the adult that is guarding a chick, for example, and then can wait for hours. And then when the adult is looking somewhere else, um, it comes and, you know, grab the egg and then go away. And then you have giant petrels as well. So they look like albatrosses. Oh, um, they are okay. very, very they're very big birds. Um, and they they fly over and they and then they grab a chance to get a, a chick somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But usually if, um, we saw we saw um, it was quite impressive actually. We saw a giant petrel try to uh, grab uh, to catch a big chick that was probably quite heavy already. But it didn't manage to carry it uh, for a long distance. So basically, it just dropped it just next to the colony. And then there were three non-breeders um, that were just hanging around um, some non-breeding king penguins. And they started to protect the, the big chick and to actually save it. So, so that was quite uh, interesting behavior, I guess. And then the parent came. The actual parent of the chick came. And starting to, um, you know, flap and bite the the other adults that just saved the chick life. So like, <laughs> oh, how can you do that? They save your chick. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the South Georgia Island and your experience there? Um. Well, no. I think it's I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Would you go back? Maybe the African penguin. Maybe the African penguin uh, work. There are more things to say. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So okay. So South Georgia. By the way, would you go back, Camille, to the cold South Georgia island? Yeah, it was really, it was really, you know, unusual experience. Um, I've loved some trips I've done, but you know, South Georgia was somehow unique because because like no, not many people see that anyway um so yeah that was just unique and amazing and the most beautiful place i've ever been so yeah yeah i would go back <laughs> that's awesome can i go with you camille i could be a penguin researcher oh okay yeah at least you can be a penguin assistant it's oh. fine to hold the penguins <laughs> <laughs> awesome okay so let's talk about your work in south africa on robin island of course with the african penguin which is one of my favorites uh yeah let's just talk about that yeah, okay. Um, so how can I start? Um, <laughs> yeah, African penguins, first thing I would say uh, is that they are endangered. And so they are um, on the red list of the IUCN uh, as endangered species. And um, there is uh, an amazing work um, ongoing at the moment uh, between um, the South African government um, the fisheries um, network and also a scientist to try to um, yeah uh, protect that species basically after all the damages that have been done um, so I think it's a very good example of a collaboration between these different um, you know actors on, on this um, so yeah the thing is um, they rely on anchovies and sardines to um, to forage and get food for the chicks and all that contributes to the breeding success of the species and um, yeah as you know um, the fishery industry um, 
is getting these fish out of the water every year. Uh, and among other factors, um, there is a there is a competition basically um, between um, the African penguins and the fishing industry. So there are increasing concern, let's say, um, that fishing might um, affect the species somehow. But um, as I said, among other factors. So yeah, when I say among other factors, it could be uh, climate change. Uh, it could be um, pollution, like oil spills, because in South Africa there there were a lot of oil spills uh, from different vessels uh, around the islands, and a lot of birds have been oiled uh, many times. And we also uh, had a bird that was um, oiled twice, actually, uh, from two different oil spills. So he was rehabilitated twice, and he was fine, and we still saw this guy... Uh, like alive, but he was oiled twice. So that's just to say um, how bad it could be. Um, then um, there could be um, marine debris, you know, that can affect the birds as well. And now there's a new, uh, you might have heard of a new source of pollution uh, in the oceans. It's um, the microplastics. So, um, um, yeah, there is increasing research um ongoing at the moment for the impact of microplastic on uh, marine wildlife. Um, and then, you know, um, sardines and anchovies, they um, they are called forage fish because they are really small pelagic fish and they are used for many different things. So they are used for, you know, cat and dog food or for our own food, like sardines and anchovies and many other purposes. Um, so they are... They are quite. They don't have a long lifespan, um, so every they're very sensitive to change in the environment. So from one year to another, you can have really different um, amount of fish that uh, enters the ecosystem basically by uh, you know reproduction and things like that, depending on the conditions. So there are very big fluctuations among years for these fish. And of course, the the African penguins eating those those fishes, uh, they will be affected by um, how many fish are actually in the water this year. Um, but of course, uh, fishing activity doesn't help them, and that's why um, there was a a project. I mean, it's still uh, going at the moment um, to take a 20 kilometer radius around Robben Island like a, a circle around the island, and to ban the fishing activities in this area for three years, reopen the fishing activity for three years, and close it again for three years. And at the moment, we are in this last uh, period, because it's closed between 2017 and 2019. So we are like at the end of the second year of um, fishing closure. And the, the purpose is to run a long-term um, monitoring study on African penguins, to see how well they are doing in different years and see if there is a good impact of closing um, the fishing activities, of banning the fishing activities uh, or not in this area. And there are some studies already that have shown that um, closing the fishing in this area was um, increasing by around 20%, I think it was, uh, the chick survival um, of the species. So that could help 
recovering that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I guess the situation for African penguins is really, really, really bad because, um, yeah, there, there used to be millions of African penguins um, in the 19th century, you know, because um, they breed they breed in Namibia and south of, um, you know, west and south of Af South Africa. So they have quite a small uh, range uh, for their distribution. So they, of course, if something happens, uh, the entire population that is that will be affected, of course. Um, and the situation is quite bad because there used to be millions of birds, and now uh, with the last uh, the last counts were done, uh, they found 25,000 pairs only for the entire population. So including Namibia. So that's terrible. And between 2001 and 2013. We lost 70% of the population in South Africa, so so that's um, yeah that's that's terrible basically. And at the rate of this decline, it's very likely that some colonies will get uh, will be extinct by like sooner than we think at least. Oh so. my goodness! And Camille, can you say that again? How many how many pairs were left? I didn't hear that. You said 2,500 pairs or 20. 25,000 uh, pairs. 25 southern pairs. Yeah. 25 wow. south pairs uh, instead of you know million animals uh, like several centuries ago uh, but it's just like since the development of the industry and you know the fishing and the oil spills and everything like it's it's dramatically getting lower and lower um, and I think uh, although we've done really bad things uh, so yeah fishing we can say sometimes it can affect the species, of course, although it's also a need for, you know, um, humans and our economy and everything. Um, but there were also egg and guano collections um, uh, for African penguins, you know. So if you remove the eggs, of course, it's going to affect the population trend as well. Um, uh, but I think today, at least in recent days, um, there's an amazing job that that is, you know, done at the moment. Um, and there's a, a big group called uh, Sankob, which is a foundation that saves uh, coastal um, birds from South Africa. They rescue, uh, every year, they rescue hundreds of African penguins that, that are injured or oiled or uh, just sick or, you know, wounded, um, like anything, basically. Uh, because they're endangered, they they take them to the center, they rescue them, and then they rehabilitate them, put them back in the wild, and they start breeding again, and that's fantastic. Um, and then there are these projects that gather different um, people, like governors and um, scientists, um, to work together and decide of a plan to for conservation. Um, you know, there are some cats eradications on islands because there, there there used to be some cats that were you know eating uh, penguins or chicks or things like that so there are plans to protect them as well uh, for habitat degradation they 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 also do an amazing work they try to build um, artificial nests um, so that they can you know uh, have safe places to breed um, if they can and for that there's a a very good project with Earthwatch. And by the way, 
Like we have a friend in common, Amy. Yes. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. Uh, she's she was part of <laughs> she was part of uh, of that project with me. So that that was that's how we met actually, and she was helping as well um, the for the the building of the artificial burrows and and things like that. Um, so I think that there are very nice things that are done. And now there's a there's a plan with BirdLife South Africa. They try to um, set new colonies, you know, like that can be uh, better for the penguins than the one actually in place. So they try to attract uh, penguins to breed uh, in some places by creating artificial penguins. So they are like um, art pieces of penguins standing like as if they were, you know, brooding or incubating an egg or something like that. Oh my God. To try to attract yeah, it's a new it's a new thing. Yeah, they, I don't know how well it's, it's gonna work, but uh, they try to attract penguins to you know move a little bit to maybe to get more access to resources or things like that. So I think I think this is a fabulous example of how we try to do something about it actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I commend you and, and Amy and all of you, all the researchers, for all your hard work and you know trying to save the species because you really are making a difference. I know a lot of people think, oh, what are we gonna do? Like you know, maybe I'm not making a difference, and you guys really are. So. Thank you so much for all your all your dedicated work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's a good team there, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, are you currently? I mean, so are you planning on going back to South Africa? So I went uh, two seasons in in a row, like last year and this year. Um, I'm not sure whether or not I will go again because it will be the last year of my PhD. I will have to do a lot of writing up and everything. Um, but um, yeah, there's a researcher, so Richard Shirley, he's um, like leading the project for more than 10 years now. And um, yeah, there will always be a team to keep doing the monitoring, I think, because, you know, it's it's a very fantastic project. And to have so many years of data, it's fantastic, really. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have any? Yeah. yeah. Do you have any last minute advice for any young listeners who want to pursue a similar career, wildlife related career, regarding research? Um. Yeah. I guess. I guess sometimes people think, oh, you need to be, to be a researcher, you need to be smart, or you need to be very, you know, um, I don't know, gifted somehow or something. Like that. But no, you just need to be curious. And also, when you work on like a particular species, you need to, I guess, like the species and you know be passionate about like science and you know, um, yeah, learning things on a species and things like that. And that's it basically. And I think we just need curiosity. You need to. We need to find new ideas. You know, to investigate things and to relate things to each other. And you know, explaining. Um, trying to understand how the ecosystem works is very complicated because there are many factors and many different um, uh, different boxes interacting together. So it's very complicated, and we need, you know, I think curious people, interesting people, interested people <laughs> to work together. And yeah, so that no, I, I, I guess I don't have advice. An advice if you if you feel like you want to do it, you can, and just just go and do it. You know. That's great advice. I get a lot of emails. From, <laughs> no, I'm serious because some people think, oh, I'll never be able to do this or work with animals. And if you seriously have a goal and you put your mind to it and, like you said, have that curiosity and that determination, you could totally do anything you want. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, the only thing I would say is uh, just keep in mind that when you work on one species, you have to always think about the animal first and not what you want to get as a result or something like that. Like there are many times where we could have deployed GPSs and, you know, get some data and, you know, make our supervisors happy and everything. But, you know, uh, in the end, um, in many times I had to say, no, this is not good. This bird is too stressed. So this bird is like already ongoing some stress here. So we're just um, leaving that one alone. So I guess, you know, uh, of course you need some common sense and um, to always put the animal first, I would say, when you work on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have one more year left with your PhD? Yeah, one year to go. <laughs> How exciting. I bet you cannot wait to finish that. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's I'm in the good phase now because analyzing all the data and see what the birds have been doing is really exciting. I'm just less excited by the writing up phase at the end, but <laughs> you have a year to do yeah. it. And with your PhD, I, I just want to clarify because we went all over this interview with the podcast. Um, so you're just basically studying the penguins and the elephant seals, and you're just studying their their food habits, correct? And just like the impact of the impact of uh, the fishing industry. Exactly. That's that's basically a good um, summary uh, of what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Well, good luck. I know you're going to do great. And thank you so much for all your work. And thank you for being able to do this podcast. I think it's, what is it? Is it six o'clock your time or seven o'clock your time in Switzerland? Uh, yes, it's uh, 7 p.m. in France. In France. Oh, France. I thought it was Switzerland. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I was wondering. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's, so in France. it's still the early. Best country in the world. Woo. The best country. How close are you to the Eiffel Tower, Camille? <laughs> Is it outside okay. your window? <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for doing this to me. And yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.